As Steve was preparing our hearts and minds to receive the Lord's Supper today, he mentioned John the Baptist's testimony that he gave in the first chapter of John. After the baptism of of Jesus by John the Baptist, the next day he saw him walking by and said, Behold, the Son of God or the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then our reading begins on the next day when he gives that testimony again, this time to two particular people. So let's be standing, please, as we hear this. Words recorded in the Gospel of John, spoken by John the Baptist to two very special men. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with, his two, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, and if we translate it into English is rock. May God bless the reading of his word. I think you would agree with me that one of the things we value most in our lives is our friendships. Most of us have friends. Uh, In fact, some of the studies of friends that you read and how you make friends and all talk about, we have kind of concentric circles of friends. We've got this outer circle that contains people that we know, uh, like, don't spend much time with, but when we see them, we'll say hi to them, maybe stop and visit a little bit. Then we work our way into a circle of people that we're around more often, that perhaps we do spend some quality time with. We just keep working in until finally we get to that inner circle of friends. Those people that we tell everything and they tell everything. We know we can always count on them. We arrange our days. We arrange schedules so that we can go and enjoy and do things together with those people. Now, people who study friendships say that most of us have really only two or three people in that closest circle of friends. That's fairly average. That seems to be what most of us have. Now, there are gifted people. Uh, gifted in friendship, that that circle of intimate friends is, is a lot larger. And one guy that came to my mind when I was thinking about that was Rodney Dunlap. Uh, do you remember uh, what, what a wonderful gift he had of making friends and making deep friendships with people? In fact, at his funeral service, I remember asking the question to uh, audit- this auditorium filled with people. I said, How many of you think that you were one of Rodney's best friends? And almost every hand, hundreds of hands, went up. And the funny thing was, they were right, uh, that Rodney was able to have that many close, good friends. 
Well, the reason we're talking about that today is that one of the men in the text that we read today seemed to have that same gift of friendship. He was a man who seemed to really relate well to people and enjoyed being around others and just was gifted at making friends, and it was something that truly was a joy in his life. And of all the people that we read about in Scripture, this is one of the guys that I've always kind of picked out as thinking, I would have really liked to get to know this guy because of the qualities that he has, the kind of person that he seems to be. If it weren't for the Gospel of John, we wouldn't know a lot about him. He is mentioned in the other three Gospels and once in the book of Acts, but he's usually just mentioned kind of in passing. He's mentioned a couple of times in the book of Matthew, but it's always in a list of other people or identified as being the brother of a certain man. He's listed a few more times in Mark, but the same thing, just whenever several people are listed or we're talking primarily about his brother. But John, John seems to really focus in on him and gives us a few more insights about who he is and what he did. And I'm not surprised because John kind of organized his whole gospel around the idea of friendship you realize that each of the four Gospels is written in a specific way to specific people and tells the story of Jesus in ways that would benefit the audience to whom they were writing. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't just sit down and say, we're going to write the story of Jesus, have it published, and whoever wants to read it can read it. But rather, they wrote their Gospels because they were thinking of a certain group of people, sometimes even a particular church. And they wanted to write the story of Jesus in a way that would really relate to the people that they knew, would help them understand things that perhaps they were not understanding, and that would benefit them as a community. So that's why if you read Matthew, and then you read Mark, and then you read Luke, and then you read John, you think, well, these are different, yet they're telling the same story. They're telling it just in different ways. Well, when John wrote his gospel, he chose to tell us the story of Jesus in a way that really emphasized the idea that Jesus is our friend. And in fact, it's in the gospel of John that we find that word so often. A word that the Apostle Paul, by the way, never did even use in any of his letters. Now, some of our English Bibles throw it in there, but it's not there. He never chose to use the word friend to describe Jesus. But for John, that was his main description of Jesus. You remember, Jesus tells his disciples that I now call you my friends. I am your friend. Now, for him to talk in terms like that was really loaded language. Anytime you read the Gospel of John, you got to slow down because John is a very theological gospel, and when he uses words, he uses them very carefully, and some of his words carry tremendous amount of meaning. Friendship is one of those words because he was writing in a time where the people that would be reading his gospel 
knew what the philosophers of their day and the time that had come before them had said about friendship. Kind of getting off subject here a little bit, but it's okay. We'll get back, okay? And I'm watching the clock, so relax, all right? But friendship to people like Plato, Aristotle, Plutarch, these guys that kind of established the Greek culture, they had very definite ideas. You didn't just throw the word friend around lightly. You didn't wave at someone and say, oh, there's a friend, oh, there's a friend, oh, there's a friend. If you call someone a friend, then you were talking about a pretty serious relationship there, a relationship that was very deep and very meaningful. For these guys, Plato, Aristotle, Plutarch, these guys, they talked about a real friend is willing to give his or her life for you. Ooh, that kind of sounds familiar, didn't it? Did you know that Jesus didn't say that first? Plato said that first. That a real friend will lay down his life for you. And that's why Jesus in the book of John, he says, I am willing to lay down my life for you. That's what a friend does. And that resonated with his disciples. They said, that's right. That's how good a friend he is. He's willing to give his life for us. Another aspect of friendship in that time was that you told them everything. That you never hid anything from your friends. That you were able to speak openly, frankly, and just tell them all. In, in the book of John, what does Jesus say? I tell you all. God has given me all of this wisdom and, and now I have now told you everything that God has told me. That openness and that frankness. And finally, friends in ancient time had all things in common. And certainly Jesus, through the book of John, lets them know that whatever he has, he shares with them. So as John tells the story of Jesus to let us know that Jesus came to us to be a friend, it's not surprising that one of his favorite people to talk about in this book, besides Jesus, is this man in this text, because that's what he was known for. His name, of course, was Andrew. Andrew had a Greek name, Andreas, that was his name. And Andreas and Philip are the only two of the 12 apostles that have Greek names. It was kind of strange to name a little Jewish boy with a Greek name. But they, after all, Philip and Andrew and Peter had grown up in a little town, Bethsaida, which was up in Galilee, and that in itself made it kind of out in the sticks. But it was even on the wrong side of the tracks. Only it wasn't the wrong side of the tracks, it was on the wrong side of the lake, all right? The Jewish side was on this side, and the Gentile and sort of mixed group were over on that side, and their hometown was over there. But they had then moved in to Capernaum, and they were, had become fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and then two of their friends and their family, James and John. And Andrew lived with Peter in Capernaum and Peter's wife and Peter's mother-in-law. That's kind of how those families did it, you know. They, and their houses were small, too. We know that because you can go look at the house of Peter and Andrew today. If you go to Capernaum, Make sure that your guide takes you to see Peter's house. And of all the things in the, the, the Holy Land, the land of Israel, that, that they try to identify, this is one of the more uh, sure uh, spots that's been identified because this house was turned into a church in the late 1st, early 2nd century because it was Peter's house. So they lived there in Capernaum. They worked as fishermen. 
But that doesn't tell us the whole story about Andrew. Because when we meet Andrew the first time, he's not out fishing at the lake. Now, later on, we'll run into him when he's out fishing. But when we first meet him here in the book of John, he's made a trip down to the wilderness area of Judea. Because he wanted to go here. This guy named John the Baptist. And that right there tells you that Andrew was a seeker. That Andrew wanted more to life than just go to work, go home, watch TV, go to bed. You know, he wanted life to mean something. He wanted to know what life was all about. So much so that he had left his job and, you know, he probably didn't get paid while he wasn't there. And he and his brother Peter, and it looks like James and John as well, had gone down, shut down the business, gone down in order to spend some time with John the Baptist, and had become disciples of John the Baptist. So that's where we meet Andrew. He's standing around one day listening to his mentor, John the Baptist, when suddenly Jesus walks by and John says, there he is. That's the Lamb of God. And Andrew and the other unnamed disciple. Now, guys, when you're reading the book of John and there's a disciple who's unnamed, who is he? It's John. That's right. That's just the way he did things, isn't it? He never really wanted to talk about himself in the book. But he would say another unnamed disciple. We pretty much know that that was John. So John and Andrew are standing there. Here goes Jesus by, and John the Baptist points at him and says, there's the Lamb of God. Well, we already know enough about Andrew to know he's going to go meet this guy. So he starts following him. And this is where the language gets kind of rich and very technical. Because Jesus obviously sees these two guys following him, and even if he didn't see them, he would know it, wouldn't he? That's Jesus. So he turns around to them, and he says... And, and if you read it, you can sort of read this in various ways. And out of our English translations, we can just read, Jesus turned and said, what do you want? <laughs> but that's really not what he said. He turned to him and says, what do you guys really want? What is it you're looking for? And I want to tell you something. There are lots of beatitudes in the Bible. You know, the blesseds. It's funny, when it's a beatitude, we say blessed instead of blessed, but that's okay. The Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Let me give you another beatitude. Blessed are those who can answer the question, what do you want? Isn't that a blessing to know what it is you want? What it is that will really fulfill your life? Now, most of us know in our hearts it's not getting the flat screen TV. It's not getting the new house. It's not getting the new car. Those things give us a little thrill, but that's not what gives us life. And so when we can come to a point in our lives when we can answer the question, what is it that you really want? Jesus asked Andrew and John that question. And they gave a good answer back. What they said was this, we want you. Now what they said was, we want to know where you are staying was the word there. Ah, but that's a good old John word. It's really abiding. 
Remember, John uses that word a lot in describing Jesus' teachings where Jesus promises that if we open our hearts to him, he will come and abide with us. Those who abide in me, I abide in them. Get a a concordance, look up the word abide, and see how many times Jesus uses that word. Well, here's the first time. And it's not Jesus using it, but it's rather Andrew and John saying, we want to know you. We want to know where you are. And Jesus gives that wonderful answer that he always gives to people when he calls them, come and see. And they do. And they go and they spend the rest of the day sitting and listening to Jesus. Not just listening to him, but being with him. And they were of such character themselves that they began to get it, that this guy knows what life is. And they would come to know later on, this guy not only knows what life is, he's the one who gives life. And it didn't take them long to figure it out because the first thing that Andrew did, well, you already know that, don't you? Because after this incident, where Andrew went and spent some time with Jesus, And got to know that here is the man who has the answers. Here is the man that can tell me how to live life. Here is the man that can tell me what's really important and what is not. Then from that point on, he is really known for one thing and one thing only. Now he's not known for being one of the writers in the New Testament. John went on to write much of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, the letters of John, the book of Revelation. His brother, Andrew's brother Peter, went on to write part of the New Testament, but also to be kind of the head of the church, or the leading apostle after Jesus left. He was the spokesman and, and was known as one of the chief pillars of the church. So he wasn't known for that. Nor was he even known to be one of the inner circle of Jesus while Jesus was on the earth. I was sharing with first service today that, that every time I go through these texts, and most of the texts I've not only, well, I've read them all, but most of them I've preached several times, something new hits me. Well, I want to share my new thing this time around. It really hit me what kind of person Andrew must have been not to have been included in that inner circle of Jesus and be okay with that. Can you imagine? Who was the inner circle? Who was it that Jesus would take off to the Mount of Transfiguration? Who did he invite on into the garden? Whenever he wanted to be with his best friends, he would say, Peter, James, and John. Now you know who those were. Peter was Andrew's brother. James and John were his friends most of his life that he worked side by side with them. So you be Andrew for a while and you're sitting there and the first time Jesus comes up and says, hey, I'm going to take some of you guys off and we're going to go up on this mountain. We're going to spend some time together. I'll take uh, James and John and mm, Peter. Now, what would be your reaction? I tell you, I'm a little person. I would be crushed to be left out like that. My own brother goes. My two guys that I've worked with for years are invited. What am I, chopped liver? 
Why can't I go? But as far as we know, Andrew never raised that question. And if he did have any of those feelings, he was a mature enough man to get past it. By the way, do you know what the word Andrew means? In Greek, it's Andreas, and it means man. And definitely, Andrew was the man. Now, Andrew is not known for being one of the inner circle of Jesus' best friends. He's not known to be a one who wrote part of the New Testament. We don't hear a lot about him after the day of Pentecost. But what we remember him for was being people's friend. Right after he first meets Jesus, the first thing he does is to run and get his brother, Peter, and says, we found him. We have found the Messiah you need to come to. Because that's just the kind of person Andrew was. He was a person person, a people person. Now, we know that because of some of the other stories that John threw out. And oh, I promise to watch the clock. I'll talk fast. Another story was in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. No matter no telling how many thousands of ch- people were there. Some people estimate 14,000, 15,000 people that Jesus really fed in the feeding of the 5,000. But whenever they realize they got a problem, they've got all these people out in the wilderness and nobody's got any food, what are they going to do? All the disciples are sitting around, you know, wringing their hands. But Andrew has an idea because he's been out in the crowd making friends. And he says, you know, I met a boy, I think his name's Joseph or Joey or something. He's out here. He brought his lunch with him. Nobody else had met the little boy, evidently, who had the lunch, but Andrew had. Why? Because that's who Andrew was. Andrew loved to be out with people. He loved to bring people to Jesus and say, hey, I need to get the two of you guys together. Later on in chapter 12, there were some people who were of Greek uh, culture who came to Jerusalem. They wanted to meet Jesus. They ran into Philip who had a Greek name. They said, hey, you know, maybe we've got something in common here. We'd like to meet Jesus. Philip says, I know who needs to introduce you to Jesus. And he went and got Andrew. Now, Philip knew Jesus as well as Andrew did. But there was just something about Andrew. Andrew was a friend. Andrew loved people. Andrew could bring people to Jesus. Now, the story of Andrew has a lot of meanings in it to me. And I hope you can mine it for some inspiration as well. He's a good example for us that we don't need to settle for the mundane life of one foot in front of another, doing things the way everyone else is. But there is something else there that makes life rich and full. We need to notice how Andrew, and follow Andrew's example, how when he found that in Jesus, he embraced it. Because Andrew was obviously a person who knew how to make friends. Jesus has come as the ultimate friend. Andrew was a humble man. He he looked not on the inside, but out. He didn't obviously sit around thinking about himself and what's going on with Andrew, but was always looking out and wondering what was going on and how he could help in the lives of others. 
He loved both people and Jesus, so it's natural for him to bring the two together. In the example of Andrew, we find out what it means to be a true friend. And we're reminded once again that the greatest friend we can have is that of Jesus Christ himself. The marks of friendship, according to this day, were being willing to lay down your life for your friends, sharing all that you have with them, being open and frank with them. All these things Jesus was to Andrew and will be to you as well. Let's stand and sing.